0: On the night of October 11, 1969, the Zodiac murdered cab driver Paul Stein. Days later, the killer mailed an envelope to the offices of the San Francisco Chronicle. Inside, the Zodiac included a blood-stained piece of Stein's shirt, along with a threat that traumatized the Bay Area for decades.
1: School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning. Just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out.
0: The Zodiac's threats terrified children and parents everywhere and created a nightmare of security concerns for police and school officials. As media coverage of the Zodiac's murderous plans became national news, the next chapter of the story unfolded on live television in a spectacle which created years of confusion and blurred the lines between fact and fiction.
1: October 22nd, someone claiming to be Zodiac calls a San Francisco talk show and arranges a meeting with lawyer Melvin Belli. Tell
0: us what's going on inside
1: you right now, Sam. I have headaches. I want to kill those kids. Dear Melvin, this is the Zodiac speaking. I cannot remain in control for much longer.
0: This is Zodiac. A to Z. In the early morning hours of October 22, 1969, the Oakland Police Department received a telephone call from a man claiming to be the Zodiac. The caller said he wanted famous Boston attorney F. Lee Bailey or San Francisco lawyer Melvin Belli to appear on a local television talk show. According to one newspaper article, police reportedly stated that the caller knew unpublicized details about the Zodiac crimes, but this information was quickly contradicted by other news stories stating that police doubted the caller was the Zodiac. Police hoped that the television show might expose the imposter and perhaps attract the attention of the real killer. F. Lee Bailey lived on the East Coast, but Melvin Belli was a well-known personality in the Bay Area. Hours after the call to Oakland police, Belli was the guest on the show with host Jim Dunbar. A man called the KGO television station several times and in conversation with Belli claimed he was the Zodiac but he agreed to be called Sam.
1: How long have you had those headaches, Sam? In a long time? I killed a kid. What? Was it before December that you had the headaches? Yeah. Did, were you in service? Did you might have had uh, an injury in service. or did you ever fall out of a tree or downstairs were you ever unconscious? He don't remember. Does aspirin you do any good? No. Doesn't do any good.
0: One exchange revealed that Sam had been interested in Belli for some time. Sam, let me ask you a question. Did you, um, did you attempt to call this program one other time when Mr. Belli was with us? Can you go did, did you
1: try to call us one other time a lot until two, two or three weeks ago when, when Mel Belli was with us? Yes. Yeah. Well, then so you not get through. couldn't get, get through. The phones were tied up. Was that it? Yeah. Sam, look, let me ask you this. There's some reason why you go to a particular doctor or a particular priest. and some reason why apparently you, you, you uh, wanted to talk to, to me or Lee. Is it that you feel that we have compassion for people who get in trouble? Or is it you feel that uh, we can do something for you? Or is it you feel that uh, we're... Uh,
0: have enough integrity and we promise you something, that that we're going to stick to it. Well, let's find out why he wanted to
1: talk to Why did you want to talk to Mr. Belli, Sam? I don't want to be hurt. I want to kill those
0: kids. During a private conversation off the air, Belli asked Sam to meet him in person and suggested a church in Chinatown as the location. Sam replied, Meet me on the top of the Fairmont Hotel, without anybody else, or I'll jump. Belli and Sam eventually agreed to meet at a thrift store in Daly City, but when the attorney and a crowd of police officers, reporters, and onlookers gathered at the agreed location, no one was surprised that Sam failed to appear. Investigators did not believe that Sam was the real Zodiac, but they knew that he had to be identified and cleared as a suspect. Police tried to trace Sam's calls to the KGO switchboard, but the caller thwarted their efforts by repeatedly hanging up and calling back. The Oakland police dispatcher who answered the call from the person who claimed to be the Zodiac stated that Sam was the same caller. The three people who had spoken to the Zodiac also listened to Sam's voice. Surviving Zodiac victim Brian Hartnell, Vallejo Police Dispatcher Nancy Slover, and Napa Police Dispatcher Officer David Slate all agreed that Sam was an imposter. Brian recalled that the man he had encountered at Lake Berryessa seemed older and had a deeper voice. Officer Slate agreed and said that Sam was too young to be the man who called the Napa Police Department. Nancy Slover thought that Sam was, quote, "...too pitiful and pathetic to be the Zodiac." A San Francisco Chronicle article referred to the caller as Sam the Sham. In the weeks after his televised conversation with Sam... Melvin Belli worked with rock legends The Rolling Stones as they attempted to find a concert venue somewhere in San Francisco. Belli worked as mediator between The Stones and Dick Carter, the owner of the Altamont Speedway. On December 6, 1969, crowds gathered at the site of the concert at the Altamont Speedway. Melvin Belli arrived and made his way through the mass of spectators. The infamous motorcycle gang, the Hell's Angels, served as security, reportedly in exchange for large quantities of beer. And gang members were involved in various hostile and violent incidents with fans throughout the concert. The audience was shocked when Alan Passero, a 21-year-old Hell's Angel, stabbed a man as the band played on. When the man died, the brutal stabbing quickly became a media nightmare for the Rolling Stones, and a serious legal problem for the Hells Angels. The concert had been recorded on film as part of the upcoming movie, Gimme Shelter, and the film revealed that the victim had pointed a gun at lead singer Mick Jagger before the Hells Angel intervened. A few days after the December 6th concert, the district attorney called Dick Carter, the owner of the Altamont Speedway, and informed him that Carter and the Hells Angels would face charges in the killing of the gunman. Carter then called members of the Hells Angels in an attempt to locate the missing gun used by the victim. Carter hoped that the gun and the concert footage would prove that Alan Pissarro had acted to protect Jagger and the others from the gunman, and therefore should not face charges. Once the Hells Angels located the weapon. Carter contacted attorney Melvin Belli. Belli told Carter to put the gun in a shoebox and bring it to his office. Carter followed Belli's instructions and took the weapon to Belli's San Francisco office. Belli was able to help the gang members temporarily avoid prosecution, but the district attorney later filed first-degree murder charges against Alan Pissarro. A jury acquitted Pissarro in January 1971, and concluded that he had acted in self-defense. Melvin Belli left San Francisco on December 20, 1969 to attend a conference of military trial lawyers held in Munich, Germany. On that same day, the Zodiac mailed a letter to Belli's home. Postmarked December 20th, the envelope arrived at the attorney's residence on December 23rd. Belli's housekeeper then forwarded the envelope to the attorney's office. After the Christmas holiday, office employees opened the envelope and found it contained a written plea for help and a blood-stained scrap of cloth. Belli's staff immediately notified the San Francisco Police Department Handwriting experts concluded that the Zodiac had written the letter, and police confirmed that the scrap of cloth did, in fact, come from the shirt worn by the Zodiac's last known victim, cab driver Paul Stein. The killer seemed to have commented on the Zodiac imposter, Sam, by sending a letter to Belli along with a piece of a victim's clothing, as if to say, That other person is an imposter. I'm the real Zodiac.
1: Dear Melvin, This is the Zodiac speaking. I wish you a happy Christmas. The one thing I ask of you is this. Please help me. I cannot reach out because of this thing in me. It won't let me. I am finding it extremely difficult to keep in check. I am afraid I will lose control again and take my... Ninth and possibly 10th victim. Please help me. I am drowning. At the moment, the children are safe from the bomb because it is so massive to dig in, and the trigger mech requires so much work to get it adjusted just right. But if I hold back too long from number 9, I will lose complete, all control of myself and set the bomb up. Please help me. I cannot remain in control for much longer.
0: San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery contacted Melvin Belli by telephone in Munich, Germany on December 28th. Belli commented on the Zodiac letter and offered his help to the Zodiac. Avery's article appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle on December 29th and specifically stated... That Belli was, quote, en route to Germany on the day the letter had been postmarked, December 20th. Avery also mentioned that the housekeeper had forwarded the letter. Belli described his plans to Avery, who wrote Belli said he is scheduled to remain in Europe for several weeks. He has a trial starting next week in Naples, and then plans to fly to Algiers, Africa to confer with fugitive Black Panther, Eldridge Cleaver. Belli made several public appeals asking the Zodiac to turn himself in with the promise that the attorney would protect the killer and help him avoid the death penalty. According to all of the available evidence, including police reports, FBI files, official documents, and interviews with investigators, the real Zodiac never contacted Melvin Belli again. But the man who called the Jim Dunbar talk show had apparently developed an obsession with the celebrity lawyer. On January 14, 1970, San Francisco police contacted the FBI to report that someone claiming to be the Zodiac and asked to speak with the famed attorney. The report read 1 1470, R.E., San Francisco Airtel. December twenty-nine last, on instant date, inspector name redacted, homicide detail, San Francisco Police Department, confidentially advised that unsub, who identified himself as Zodiac, telephonically contacted attorney Melvin Belli's residence in an effort to contact Belli. Unsub was advised Belli was in Europe and stated, "I can't wait. Today's my birthday." This report was marked urgent and directed to the Identification Bureau. According to the report, the San Francisco police requested that the FBI recheck the fingerprints of a suspect who had previously been reported to the Bureau, suggesting that the birth date of the caller was the same as the date the call had been made. The name and birth date of the suspect were redacted before the report was released to the public leading to speculation regarding the actual date of the call. The first line of the report read, San Francisco Airtel, December 29, last, and has been misinterpreted as the date that San Francisco police notified the FBI regarding the birthday call. Each FBI report includes the date of the last report referencing the same subject matter. On December 29. San Francisco police contacted the FBI to report the Zodiac's most recent attempts to contact Melvin Belli by mail. Per FBI procedure, the next report to reference the Zodiac's possible attempts to contact Belli cited the most recent report previously filed on the subject. The report stated that the FBI was contacted by San Francisco police on instant date. This term is used in official documents to quickly and clearly denote the current date, time, or subject. In short, instant date translates to today's date. The report is dated January 14, 1970, indicating that the birthday call took place on or shortly before January 14th. The language of the report clearly indicates that San Francisco Police contacted the FBI on the instant date, January 14, 1970, to report information about a telephone call to Belli's home, which occurred on January 14th, or shortly before that date. Official documents indicated that police were quick to report developments to the FBI. The evidence indicated that police would not delay reporting an event as significant as the killer declaring his date of birth. The birthday call inspired police to set up a trace on Belli's home phone in the hopes that future calls from the Zodiac imposter would lead to his location and his identity. On February 5, 1970, the KGO television station received another call from a man who claimed to be the Zodiac. Host Jim Dunbar spoke with the caller, but the man's voice was not broadcast on the air. Like Sam, the caller complained about headaches and said that he did not want to be harmed. The man stated that he was 18 years old, admitted that he snipped gasoline and glue to get high, and confessed that he possessed at least four guns. The caller allegedly stated that he wanted Melvin Belli to represent him and made statements indicating that he was allegedly seeking justice for Meredith Hunter. The man killed by a member of the Hells Angels biker gang during the Rolling Stones concert at the Altamont Speedway in December 1969. The caller's interest in the Altamont incident served as further evidence that he was focused on Melvin Belli. The February 6, 1970 edition of the San Francisco Chronicle featured the headline, Talk Show's Zodiac Caller Called a Phony, and reported, Sam the Sham called the KGO talk show again yesterday morning and repeated his claim that he is the killer called Zodiac. Homicide detectives later listened to a tape recording of the conversation and concluded that Sam was a phony. San Francisco Police Inspector David Toski listened to a recording of the caller's voice and offered his opinion. It most certainly was not Zodiac and his partner, William Armstrong, had been searching for the elusive Sam since the television spectacle with Melvin Belli. Police were unable to trace Sam's calls to the KGO station, but they placed a trace on Belli's telephone line after Sam started calling the attorneys home. On February 18, 1970, San Francisco police contacted the FBI to report that the individuals who had been calling Belli at the television station, had been identified and located. The report also stated that the man's fingerprints were quote, compared with latent's This Matter by San Francisco Police Department Identification Bureau with negative results. The calls had been placed from a mental institution and the caller, who used the names Sam and the Zodiac, was actually a patient. The identity of Sam had been redacted from the FBI files released to the public, but a report written by former San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery stated that the telephone calls to Belli's home were traced to a mental hospital and identified the caller as Eric Wheel. In his summary of the case, Avery wrote... Someone who called himself Sam did telephone the show, but from the outset it was obvious that the caller was not Zodiac, and this was proved weeks later when subsequent calls from Sam to Belli's home were eventually traced to a Napa State hospital where it was found that the caller was a mental patient, Eric Wheel. One man named Eric Wheel was an amateur photographer who lived in the Bay Area during the 1960s. A former acquaintance wrote to me about Wheel and said, By all accounts, Eric was just one of those guys who showed up everywhere with a camera. According to this source, Wheel led an erratic life and reportedly served time in prison. On December 3rd, 1965, Songwriter and rock legend Bob Dylan appeared at a press conference held in the studio of San Francisco television station KQED and hosted by music lover Ralph Gleason. Eric Wheel attended and took photographs with a Polaroid camera throughout the event. As the conference began, Wheel had an odd question for Dylan. He said, I'd like to know about the cover of your of your forthcoming, or your, uh, uh, album. The one with subterranean homesick blues in it. I'd like to know about the, the meaning of the photograph with you and the wearing of the Triumph t-shirt. Dylan asked, what did you want to know about it? Wheel answered, well, that, you know, that, that's an equivalent photograph. It means something. It's got a philosophy in it. The audience laughed at this, and Dylan seemed amused as Weill continued and said, I'd like to know visually what it represents to you, because you're a part of that. Dylan appeared to search for an answer, and finally replied, I haven't really looked at it that much. I don't really. But Weill interrupted to emphatically state, I've thought about it a great deal. Dylan explained that the photograph and t-shirt were simply random choices made on the day of the photo shoot. Weill then asked, What about the motorcycle as an image in your... in your songwriting? You seem to like that. Dylan shrugged and said, Oh well, we all like motorcycles, to some degree. Weill quietly replied, I do. Immediately after the conclusion of the press conference, Eric Weil stepped onto the stage right behind Bob Dylan and began taking photographs. He tried to follow the singer until a crowd formed and blocked his path. Wheels' fascination with celebrity was evident during the 1965 press conference. The man who called Dunbar's show on February 5, 1970 mentioned Belli and his connection to the events surrounding the murder at the Altamont Speedway. Wheel's behavior indicated that he had become fixated on Belli and that the calls to Belli's home were part of his ongoing efforts to establish contact with the celebrity attorney. San Francisco investigators cleared Eric Wheel as a Zodiac suspect. the FBI report was the only official document to mention the so-called Zodiac birthday call to Bellay's residents. The call was not mentioned in any of the hundreds of pages of reports produced by the Vallejo Police Department, the Napa County Sheriff's Office, the Department of Justice, or the San Francisco Police Department. If authorities had any reason to suspect that the real Zodiac was responsible for the birthday call, This important information regarding the killer's possible date of birth would most likely appear somewhere in the official files generated during the decades of investigation. The available police reports, FBI files, and other official documents make no mention of this seemingly important information regarding the identity of the Zodiac. The fact that someone claiming to be the Zodiac Had placed a telephone call to Melvin Belli's home and revealed his date of birth was not disclosed to the public until 1999, when FBI files regarding the Zodiac case were released through the Freedom of Information Act. Prior to the release of these documents, the so-called Belli birthday call had never been reported in any other official documents, FBI files, police reports news stories, books, or other accounts of the case. None of the investigators ever referred to the call in interviews with reporters, researchers, and others. By all accounts, the man who called the Jim Dunbar show to talk with attorney Melvin Belli was universally known as an imposter. The facts demonstrated that the man who called the Dunbar show was identified by investigators who determined that he was not the Zodiac, but several myths developed around this relatively minor event in the Zodiac story. These persistent myths claimed that the real Zodiac had placed the telephone calls to the television station and to Belli's home, that the Belli birthday call occurred on December 18, 1969, and that the man identified as Sam was not the same person who spoke to Dunbar and Belli during the television broadcasts. These myths were debunked by the facts, but served a purpose for many aspiring Zodiac theorists offering theories about the case and accusing suspects. Melvin Belli contributed to the confusion regarding these events with conflicting and changing versions of his story over the years. In an article written for the San Antonio Express and published on December 22, 1970, Belli wrote, A year ago, I received a bizarre yuletide greeting, a Christmas card enclosing a scrap of soiled flannel, stained and crusted with dried blood, human blood. The Zodiac sent a letter, not a card. Belli's account confused matters by claiming that the man who called the Dunbar show was the real Zodiac. Belli wrote, That Christmas message was not the first time Zodiac contacted me, nor the last. It had started, for me, some weeks earlier. Belli's timing of events was in keeping with the known facts despite his inaccurate statements concerning the caller's identity. He then wrote, The next I heard from Zodiac was at Christmas. After that, he called my home any number of times. Always he said, Melvin, I need help. But somehow, he always backed off. Belli ended the article with another plea asking the Zodiac to contact him. Belli's timing of events was accurate when he stated that he heard from Zodiac at Christmas. A reference to the Zodiac letter postmarked December 20th, 1969, delivered to his home on December 23rd and forwarded to his office on December 26th, the day after Christmas. Belli seemed to believe that he had spoken to the real Zodiac during the broadcast of the Jim Dunbar show, but the FBI file stated that this man had been identified and was not the Zodiac. Belli seemed to be unaware that police had located and identified the man who had called his home and the television station. The possibility existed that Belli was trying to enhance his connection to the real Zodiac by insisting that the killer was also responsible for the calls to his home. Melvin Belli often misstated the facts when attempting to recall events and dates, but some of his statements were in keeping with the known facts. Belli wrote that the Zodiac called his home after the letter sent to the attorney at Christmas, dating the first calls to his home after December 25th, and after the arrival of the Zodiac letter at his office on December 26th. In his book, My Life on Trial, Belli wrote, On December 18th, 1969, the Zodiac sent me a brief note wishing me a happy Christmas. I went off on safari to Africa, but, while I was there, the Zodiac, according to my housekeeper, phoned me several times. Both of Belli's written accounts contradicted the account and timing presented in the books written by former San Francisco Chronicle cartoonist Robert Graysmith. Graysmith's 2002 book, Zodiac Unmasked, cited the FBI report by number. 9-499-11-88 and claimed that the birthday call was made by the real Zodiac on December 18th, the birthday of his chosen suspect, Arthur Lee Allen. On page 324 of his book, Graysmith wrote, Recall that on Thursday, December 18th, 1969, Zodiac rang the attorney's housekeeper, and remarked that today was his birthday. Two days later, December 20th, a letter from Zodiac arrived at Belli's office. The FBI quoted that conversation in Report 9-49911-88. Graysmith then tried to link the call to his pet suspect and added, December 18th was Arthur Lee Allen's birthday. The FBI report, cited by Graysmith, did not state that the telephone call to Belli's home had occurred on December 18, 1969. The FBI reports indicated that the telephone call occurred almost one month later in January 1970. The Zodiac letter did not arrive at Belli's office on December 20, 1969, two days after the phone call, as Graysmith claimed. The Zodiac letter was delivered to Belli's home and not to his office, as Graysmith claimed. And the letter arrived on December 23, 1969 and not on December 20th, as Graysmith wrote. The letter was forwarded to Belli's office and arrived after Christmas Day on December 26th. The facts demonstrated that Graysmith's account was inaccurate and false. The birthday call to Belli's home was not attributed to the real Zodiac until Graysmith did so in his book. Graysmith was also the first and only person to claim that the call had occurred on the birthday of his suspect. Graysmith's accounts of the call varied. On page 362 of Zodiac Unmasked, under the date Thursday, December 18, 1969, Graysmith wrote, Zodiac called the attorney's home but got his housekeeper instead. Graysmith Smith cited the lone FBI report, dated January 14, 1970, as the source for his date of the call. Under the date Saturday, December 20, 1969, Graysmith Smith wrote, Two days after the call, exactly a year after the first Northern California murders, Zodiac's letter, containing a square of Stein's bloody shirt, arrived at Belli's home. Unopened, it was forwarded down to his business office to be opened by his secretary. On page 365, Graysmith wrote, December 20th, a letter from Zodiac arrived at Belli's office. Graysmith provided a quote from Belli's book, My Life on Trial. On page 363, of Zodiac Unmasked. The passage read, I went off to safari in Africa, but while I was there, the Zodiac, according to my housekeeper, phoned me several more times. Here, Graysmith inserted the word more into Belli's quote to imply that Belli had mentioned a previous call, when, in fact, he did not do so. Belli erroneously referred to a note from Zodiac on December 18th, and not a telephone call on that date. Belli dated the note on December 18th, but did not provide the date of the phone calls. He stated that he was off to safari in Africa while the Zodiac was phoning his home. Belli's timing of the events indicates that he did not leave San Francisco until after the Zodiac had mailed the letter on December 20th, 1969. Belli's statement, made long after the time in question, indicates that he may have been confused about where he had traveled at the time, but his statement that he left after the Zodiac mailed the letter is consistent with the account of his travel plans provided to reporter Paul Avery in December 1969. Using the available information, the following timeline accounts for Belli's whereabouts in late 1969, and in early 1970. December 6th through December 20th, Belli was in San Francisco. December 20th, 1969, Belli departs for Europe. December 20th through January 2nd or 3rd, Belli was scheduled to be in Munich, Germany. January 3rd through January 9th or 10th, Belli was scheduled to be in Naples, Italy. January 10th through January 14th, Belay was scheduled to be in Algiers, in Africa. This rough estimate placed Belay in San Francisco until December 20th, when he departed for Europe. Belay remained in Europe until he left for Africa sometime in the second or third week of January. If Bella was correct and the calls to his home were placed while he was in Africa, the calls took place sometime in the second or third week of January 1970. The only FBI report to mention this birthday call is dated January 14, 1970, or the end of the second week of January. Graysmith wrote that Belli had returned to California after he had been in Naples. According to Belli's statements to Paul Avery, He was scheduled to be in Naples during the first week of January 1970. Belli also said that the Zodiac calls had occurred after he arrived in Africa. Belli was scheduled to be in Africa sometime during the second or third week of January 1970. If Belli had returned to California, he must have done so sometime in the middle of January, before he traveled to Africa. All of the available information indicated that the birthday call to Belli's home occurred shortly before January 14th, 1970. None of the available information indicated that the call occurred on December 18th, 1969. The books written by Robert Graysmith served as the basis for a feature film directed by David Fincher. In the film, the so-called Zodiac Birthday Call serves as a linchpin of Graysmith's accusation that his suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, was the Zodiac. The film changes the facts to suit its needs. In the fictional story of the film, the police trace Sam's calls on the day of the Jim Dunbar broadcast on October 22, 1969, to a mental hospital and immediately identify the caller as an imposter. In the film, on the same day of the Dunbar broadcast and failed meeting with Sam, SFPD Inspector William Armstrong tells his partner Dave Toskey, they pulled off the trace, our daily city no-show called from a mental institution. In reality, police were unable to trace the calls that day, and did not locate the caller at a mental institution until three months later. The film also leads audiences to believe that the real Zodiac called Belli's home on December 18, 1969, despite the facts which contradicted that version of events. In order to create the false illusion that the real Zodiac was involved, the film portrays Armstrong's character stating a falsehood. Quote, The Oakland PD operator is sure the man she talked to had a deeper voice, calmer. It might have actually been him. The film implies that him was the real Zodiac by creating the false narrative that the Oakland PD operator who answered the first call from the person claiming to be the Zodiac, did not believe that the person who called the Jim Dunbar show was the same person who called the Oakland Police Department. In reality, the Oakland Police operator believed that Sam was the same person who called the Oakland Police Department, raising questions about the motives behind the decisions to fill this scene in the film with fiction seemingly designed to mislead viewers into believing two different callers were involved, a Zodiac imposter and the real Zodiac. The filmmakers used the actual videotapes of the original television broadcast as the source for the film's recreation of the Jim Dunbar show, going so far as to reproduce the set, the clothing and much of the dialogue from the original broadcast. However, the filmmakers made a deliberate decision to alter the dialogue during one specific segment in order to further the false narrative that two different people were making Zodiac telephone calls. In reality, host Jim Dunbar asked Sam if he had called into the television show during a previous broadcast featuring Melvin Bellot. In the fantasy version, the same sequence had been changed and the actor portraying Jim Dunbar said, Did you attempt to call one other time when F. Lee Bailey was with us two or three weeks ago? Sam then answered, Yes. And Dunbar's character asked, Why did you want to talk to Mr. Bailey? Belli then asked, Why did you want to talk to me, Sam? And Dunbar looks at Belli as if he disapproves of the attorney's attempt to focus on himself the filmmakers altered the dialogue in this scene, changing the name Mel Belli to F. Bailey. The individual who originally called the Oakland Police Department had claimed to be the Zodiac and demanded that Belli or Bailey appear on Dunbar's program. However, Dunbar himself referred specifically to Mel Belli as the guest on the previous show, and Sam replied that he had tried to call during that specific program to talk to Belli and not F. Lee Bailey. Belli himself confirmed that he was a guest on a previous show when he said, you couldn't get through and we were talking. Given the undeniable fact that the filmmakers had access to the actual video of the original broadcast, the change in the dialogue stands out as a deliberate decision. The filmmakers tried to create the false impression that the real Zodiac had called Belli's home on Alan's birthday. In reality, Sam confessed that he called during Belleye's previous appearance on the Dunbar show, and the calls to Belli's home were traced to a mental hospital and Eric Wheel. The real life facts demonstrated that Zodiac imposter Eric Wheel had an apparent obsession with Belli, which drove him to call the attorney. The film tried to obscure the evidence of Wheel's obsession with Belli by creating the false impression that the Zodiac imposter was instead fixated on F. Lee Bailey. This change created the false impression that the Zodiac imposter was interested in Bailey while the real Zodiac was focused on Belli. Facts were changed and the events were rearranged to accommodate the film's false narrative regarding Belli's whereabouts at the time of the Zodiac letters sent to his home. One curious scene shows Toski and Armstrong arriving at the home of Melvin Belli while Christmas music plays. Inside, they find the melodramatic attorney sitting behind his desk and holding a new letter from the Zodiac. Belli reads the letter to the inspectors who are not happy with him. Belli says that the people have a right to know about the letter, and says, which is why you contacted the Chronicle. Belli then explains that the envelope came during, quote, the middle of last week. He said he believed that the Zodiac had chosen to write to his home because he had been unable to contact Belli at the television station or here, meaning Belli's home. Armstrong asks, he tried to contact you here? Belli responds, several times and explains, I was out, but he spoke with my housekeeper. Armstrong's character then runs off to question the housekeeper. The facts demonstrated that Belli was in Munich, Germany, and not in San Francisco, when the Zodiac's letter arrived at his home on December 23, 1969. He was not at home, and he did not touch the Zodiac letter, nor did he contact the Chronicle before alerting authorities. Belli did not tell police about phone calls to his home because no such calls had occurred at the time. According to the FBI files, Belli's housekeeper did not report receiving any phone calls from someone claiming to be the Zodiac at the time in question, but she did so later, in January, 1970. Immediately after the scene with Toski, Armstrong, and Belli, a title on the screen reads March 22, 1970, two and a half months later. Approximately two and a half months before March 22nd would date the scene in Belli's home in the second week of January, or the time of the FBI report which mentioned the Zodiac birthday call. In the film's bizarre fictional version of events, the Zodiac letter arrived at Belli's home one week before his meeting with Toski and Armstrong in the second week of January, almost three weeks after the Zodiac letter was actually sent. In another scene, Graysmith sits in the home of Melvin Belli, waiting to meet with the famous attorney. Belli's housekeeper brings the cartoonist some refreshments while he moans about the length of his wait. He tells her that he is writing a book about the Zodiac case, and the housekeeper says, I talked to him. Graysmith asks, With Mr. Belli about the case? And the housekeeper replies, With Zodiac when he called. She tells Graysmith that the caller had said it was his birthday. When asked to recall the date of the phone call, the housekeeper says, Mr. Belli was away for Christmas, gone for a week, then the letter arrived. She further states that Belli came back on Christmas. Graysmith then speculates, so the call came before December 20th, and says to himself, so Belli left on the 18th. This scene reveals that Graysmith's character has invented the December 18th date with a clear bias against his suspect, regardless of the facts. Gray Smith never interviewed Belli's housekeeper, and he did not learn of this so-called birthday call until 1999 with the release of the FBI files on the Zodiac case. These files demonstrate that the telephone calls to Belli's home occurred in early 1970 and that these calls were traced to the patient in a mental hospital. Belli did not leave for Europe on December 18th, but on December 20th, as he told reporter Paul Avery. Belli was not in San Francisco for Christmas, but he was instead in Munich, Germany, as is well documented in press accounts of that time. After the scene with Belli's housekeeper, the film shows Graysmith as he breathlessly dials Toski for confirmation on the birthday call. Toski is evasive, but then tells the cartoonist that had his partner checked on the call, he would have put that in a report for the Department of Justice. Any reports that Armstrong filed with the Department of Justice would have stated that the telephone calls to Belli's home were traced to a mental patient and were not made by the real Zodiac, as the San Francisco Police Department had reported to the FBI in February 1970. Toski, therefore, had no reason to tell Graysmith otherwise. In the film... Graysmith is also shown speaking with Agent Mel Nikolai of the State Department of Justice in Sacramento, California. Nikolai states that none of the suspects had been born on December 18th, the day Graysmith believes the birthday call took place. Nikolai says Armstrong checked this out. Had Armstrong checked this out, he would have known that his own suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, was born on December 18th. Obtaining a suspect's date of birth and other vital statistics is usually the first thing on an investigator's list of things to do. Even within the confines of the film's fictional universe, the inconsistent narrative indicates that none of the characters and investigators seem to notice this important fact, indicating that even they knew that the birthday call did not take place on December 18th and that they considered the call to be of no importance in the investigation. Near the end of the film, Robert Graysmith appears at the home of San Francisco Police Inspector David Toskey, proudly produces Arthur Lee Allen's driver's license, and cites the December 18th birthday call to Melvin Belli. Toskey seems impressed by Graysmith's discovery concerning Allen's date of birth and the date of the birthday call. In reality, Toski knew that the birthday call did not occur on December 18th, and that the caller was not the Zodiac, but a patient in a mental hospital. Decades of misinformation spawned years of confusion, falsehood, and myths regarding the events surrounding the Jim Dunbar show and the identity of the caller known as Sam. The popular fictional version of the story led the public to believe that the caller was the real Zodiac, but the facts led to several inescapable conclusions. The man who called the TV station on October 22nd and spoke with Melvin Belli by phone was Eric Wheel, and not the Zodiac. The real Zodiac mailed a letter to Belli's home on December 20th, 1969, the day that Belli had departed for Europe. The letter was received several days later and San Francisco police alerted the FBI. The media reported the story in late December while Belli was in Europe. The media attention provoked the TV caller to call Belli's home sometime in January 1970. Belli's housekeeper told the caller that Belli was in Europe. The housekeeper contacted police to report the Zodiac call. Shortly after receiving this information, the San Francisco police alerted the FBI on January 14, 1970. San Francisco police then placed a tap on Belli's telephone, and when the man called again, they were able to trace the calls to a mental hospital and patient, Eric Wheel. On February 18, 1970, San Francisco police informed the FBI that the matter had been resolved and the caller had been identified. The birthday call was then forgotten because it was not made by the real Zodiac. FBI files indicated that the birthday call occurred on or shortly before January 14, 1970. Zodiac imposter Eric Wheel was born on January 10, 1940. All of the available information and evidence indicated that the real Zodiac did not call Melvin Belli. Over the years, I tried to verify many of the questionable claims presented in the books written by Robert Graysmith, but the facts usually demonstrated that his accounts of the case were often distorted, exaggerated, or untrue. I made several attempts to contact Graysmith to confirm his claims, but he did not respond. In one last effort, I called Graysmith by telephone to confirm his date of the Belli birthday call. I was in the process of leaving a message on his answering machine, when Graysmith finally picked up the phone. Hi, this is Robert, I'm away from the phone working on a project, so leave a short message and I'll call you back as soon as I can. Hello Mr. Graysmith, this is Michael Butterfield calling, and uh, I'm very interested in tracking down some of the information that appears in your book, which I'm having some trouble verifying. There are several matters that I'd like to ask you about. One of them, of course, is this uh, December 18th birthday call to Melvin Belli's home. The uh, available information, including the FBI report that you cited in your book, fails to support the date of December 18th. Hello. Hello, Mr. Graysmith. Hi, I just ran upstairs. It's a second. Let me turn everything off here. Uh, who's calling? My name is Michael Butterfield. Uh-huh. Oh, and, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, right. I know all about you. And uh, I was just trying to track down some information about this uh, birthday call to Melvin Belli. Uh, I really don't want to talk about it. I'll talk to you later, okay? For reasons which may be obvious, Robert Graysmith never called to resume the conversation and He never provided any evidence to support his claims about the so-called birthday call. Thanks to the popular and fictional accounts of the case, many people were convinced that the real Zodiac was responsible for the telephone calls to the television station and to the home of Melvin Belli. But the facts told a very different story. Zodiac A to Z Written and produced by Michael Butterfield Zodiac Voice by John Knight Zodiac A to Z Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com